Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I quit drinking for good. Now I drink for evil. All right, smack him a gob, and boy, you know him, you love him. We got once again Mr. Will Carroll from Death Angel. Hi, What's up, Will. everybody? What's up? You see, you see all that feedback you're getting, man. I, I do see some of it. Yeah, I mean, people people seem to enjoy it when we uh, when we go back and forth about whatever band we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me very jealous. It bruises my ego. <laughs> No, it's awesome, dude. We do have a good uh, good repertoire. And yeah. People are really digging when we go back and forth. Even when we disagree, we agree. It doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And you are the one that said to me, because I, I threw it at you. I go, yeah, you know, we'll do some other album. And then you just straight straight away, you said, man, you like Blue Oyster Cult? I was like, oh, yeah. I'd love <laughs> to talk about them. And I'm like. Oh yeah, let's do that one. So um, let me ask you, well, how did how how did you get into Blue Oyster Cult? Um, it was about ten years ago, and uh, maybe like twelve years ago, uh, I was uh, in a band called Scarecrow, who's actually back together again. I just recorded with them, but uh, oh. we were jamming, and Damien, the bass player for uh, Death Angel, is in that band as well, and he came to practice one day with some records. He was a, a, a garbage man. He worked for one eight hundred Got Junk, so he'd always be he'd always come to practice with a, a bunch of random stuff he found on the work site. And one day he brought some records into practice, and one of them was Secret Treaties, and he already had a copy of it. And he uh, suggested I take it home and listen to it. He's like, "I think you'll like this album. You should check it out." And I was like, "Boc," because like uh, I I never got into them all those years. I feel like a fool. Um, denying myself the pleasure of listening to boc but yeah i I just knew the radio songs and my sister was kind of into him and she had boyfriends in high school that were all into him and uh so i I had heard them growing up and they were around my household but i just never really tripped off them and uh yeah i listened to secret trees and it was a life-changing moment it blew me the fuck away uh it's still my favorite boc album to this day and, uh, yeah, that was that, man. That's how I got into him. Awesome. Yeah. I was, um, obviously I, I, I knew about him a long time. My first, my first Blue to Cult album, I don't remember. I think I may have had, uh, the live album. I'm not sure, but I know for sure the first album I bought that was brand new that they just released was Cultosaurus Erectus in 80. Oh, great. Really... That, that's a great time to get into him. Yeah, and I really dig that album cover because, you know, when I was a kid, I was into dinosaurs and shit. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm going to check this out, you know, and 
oh man, I ended up loving it. And but believe it or not, I mean, like the black and white albums, I got kind of late because Blue Oyster Cult was one of those weird bands that it wasn't until like my mid twenties I really started like d- uh, dwelling into their stuff because you know then I got Fire of Unknown Origins, which I love as well. Uh-huh. And 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 the live album Some Enchanted Evening. I remember getting that when it was new, but then I kind of stopped, and um, and I did stop at a good time. And I'll talk about that later when we get to those albums. But okay. I'm guessing Club then, Ninja. <laughs> oh man, and, and and the one before it. But you know, I'll talk about it when we get there. But okay. oddly enough, the one before it has my all-time favorite was the Cult song, and I don't like that album, which is weird. Okay. You know? I mean, can you think of any album you hate that contains your favorite song from that band? I know that's oh, a that's, brain tease that you'd have to think about. That's a hard one, man. Yeah, uh, there may not be one. <laughs> I can't think of any other one but that Blue It's Cult album. You know? Yeah, that's a trip. I, I can't, not off the top of my head, I can't think of an album I hate, but my favorite song is on that album. Yeah, it's that's a weird, weird thing with me, yeah. But, um... Yeah, then I got the black and white ones, and uh, luckily enough, uh, the first one I got was uh, Secret Treaties. Uh-huh. And, yeah, like you, it just, whoa, I need to get more of these black and white albums, you know? Yeah. This early stuff. And then I got, I gathered everything by then. By I'd say, like, maybe 2025. 20, Between 24 and 25 is when I started really, like, looking into them. But oddly enough, I did see them uh, back in uh, 80 and 81. And when I saw them in 81, well, fuck, first I'll tell you, I, I kind of got the timeline wrong because I know both shows I saw were um, uh, Fire of Unknown Origin. So I guess they were both 81. And so, it, so it wasn't the Black and Blue Tour then? No, the Black and Blue Tour didn't come here, though I did see the Heaven and Hell Tour at the Highlight, wow. uh, the, you know, that tour, but they didn't come with Blue Skull, but... It was with Johnny Van Zandt and a band called Riot. You know Riot. Yeah, of course. Love them. First time I ever seen Riot was, yeah, the first time I ever heard of them. It was the Narita tour, and I was blown away how good they were. Actually, I'm not even familiar with Johnny Van Zandt at all. Yeah, Johnny Van Van Zandt was Ronnie Van Zandt's brother. Right, right. Who who now sings for Leonard Skinner. Okay, right, right. They were okay. I mean, they weren't bad. Uh, what you'd expect, the Southern rock band. But uh-huh. um, so, uh, but I'll tell you, this is a you know, both shows I saw were kind of historic. Uh, the first one, I can't remember what show I saw first, but I saw. I'll just say the one where I saw they they played the baseball stadium, Miami baseball stadium. Uh, it was Heart that headlined, Blois the Cult. Firefall. Never heard uh, of them. Yeah, yeah. They they had a hit. Probably if you'd hear it, you'd know it. They were like a one-hit wonder band from back okay. then. Um, and <clears throat> oddly enough, this thing called an air band, which is not technically a band. Uh, the radio station had a contest where people would go up on stage and and you know pretend to be a band. And this these group of people went up there and did Paradise by the Dashboard Lights by Meatloaf, uh-huh. and they won. So they got to play. But they weren't the opening act. The opening act was the very first American show of Motorhead. Whoa. I sh- shit you not. And 
I remember, man, before we went to the show, they show they they would play a little commercial on the radio. Motorhead's new album, Ace of Spades, and they played a little tiny clip of Ace of Spades, and I was like, we got to get there early. This shit sounds good, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and we did. We got there early, man. Dude, I got to tell, I'll never forget the vision. When Motorhead was up there playing, everybody was sitting down like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, headbanging. I'm going, man, this is awesome. And there yeah. were two dudes, I'll never forget, two fucking guys with their shirts off going fucking apeshit. And they were from England. <laughs> So they knew they knew Motorhead, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That was, and then the second time I saw Blue to Call was also kind of historic. It was Blue to Call headlining with Foghat at the Hollywood Sportatorium, and MTV was there and filmed the whole show. Huh. And I have both shows now on DVD. So I actually was at you know like a, a show that was filmed, and um, what do you call? It? I, I have it on DVD, and uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was just, did, and you can was, see it on, on YouTube, actually. Did MTV ever air on, on the station, yes. that show? Yeah. Okay. Not cool. only that, but back then, there was also a show called the Blue Gene Network that also played that full show. Huh. Which, you know, and back then, dude, it was like, I, you know, I didn't have a VCR or anything. And it, I'm telling you, man, it was, it was as recent as like maybe five, six years ago. I know a guy online that lives in North Carolina, a really cool dude that saw our gig when we played there. We came, became friends. He has it on DVD. So he burned me a copy, so now I have it. But you can see it. You can see, I, I don't know if it's a full show, but you can see ETI from that show and huh. from the sport. It was just fucking totally, awesome. Totally pro shot and good sound totally, and everything. Yeah, totally pro shot. You can see it on YouTube, MTV concert. Back cool. then, this was early MTV where Saturday nights they'd have a concert. Every Saturday night, they'd have, like, an MTV concert that they would film. I remember, I remember, yeah. Yeah, and that was one of them, man, and I got it, man. So, yeah, I'm very lucky I got it. And um, so you want to get into the discography? Yeah, let's do it, man. Oh, oh before we do, uh, have you seen them? Oh, yeah, dude. So uh, I saw them before I actually got into them. I saw them in 2000, maybe, like, 2007, 2008. Alan Lanier was still alive, so... Uh, I saw him at Slim's and I had a great time. I thought it was a really cool show, but for whatever reason, it didn't prompt me to, to delve into their catalog and buy anything. So it took a few more years until I got my copy of Secret Trees. But since then, since I got into him, I've seen him like maybe, I think 17 times. Damn. Yeah. I've, uh, uh the last, uh, couple of summers, this summer would have been the same if it wasn't for COVID, but the last couple of summers I followed him around. Uh, and saw him at all the, the state fairs or all the county fairs. And I even went to a casino in Reno and saw both sets. And, uh, yeah, every time they, they hit the fair circuit, I'll go to Alameda County or uh, Marin County Fair, all over the Bay Area. I'll see him. And they usually play two sets. So it, it adds up. You know, every time I see him, I see him twice, you know. So, yeah, I, I've actually nice. only seen a regular show of theirs, not counting a fair. Or like they play at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk as well for free every summer. Wow. Not this year though, but uh, yeah, that's where they filmed Lost Boys, you know. And so uh, they're playing on the same stage where that fucking muscle guy with the saxophone is fucking doing. You know what I'm talking about? A lot. <laughs> yeah, Lost yeah, Boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've seen them on that same stage, but um, yeah, I've only actually seen them in a club, like a a proper concert per se, twice. I've seen them twice at Slim's. And it's kind of funny when they play the the fairs, it's free, 
And when they play Slims, it's like fifty fucking bucks, man. <laughs> so it it wow. kind of back it kind of backfires for him because most people know that they can if they wait like a month, they'll see him for free, you know, at a fair or something. But it's really cool seeing him in a club because they do uh they do deeper cuts and yeah. it's just a a bit of a more real BOC show, you know. They they do like to mix it up too because I've seen BOC not believe it or not not as many times as you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I seen him like seven times, and I did see him. The last time I saw him was for free, was at the Miami Casino, and they played two day, two nights there. One in the daytime, one in the nighttime. The next day was in the daytime, and and they they switched it up, man. They it wasn't the same set list. And yeah, I, it's a, that's what's great about him. That's why I always see him twice, like both sets, because you'll get at least one different song, but it's usually like three or four different songs. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they did at the Miami Casino. It was like maybe even more. I think there was like four or five songs. And that's awesome. One time, that one day they played Career Evil. Then the next day they played uh, Take Me Away. You know, they switched cool. it up. It was just really cool. But anyway, before we get into the first album, I got to say, a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago or so, I did put up a Vieira Vault where me and Lee Gertzman talked about the first album. Okay. So I ain't going to say jack shit about this album. If you want to hear what I think, go listen to that goddamn episode, everybody. Because <laughs> only Will's going to talk about what he thinks of the very first Blue Oyster Cult album. What do you think? Uh, I love it. It um, it just feels like a, a bad acid trip in the best possible way, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It just has like a, a really creepy, bad acid trip vibe to it. And... Uh, um, yeah, the songs are all I like every song on that album. Uh, Transmaniacon MC, the first song is killer. Uh, it just has a total, you know, dark. It, it just, it, the album starts off with a dark vibe, you know, and, and the lyrics are about Altamont, so it's just it's not a friendly, friendly uh start to the album. I love that, you know, and um, yeah, every song like I'm on, I'm on the lamb is a killer tune. I actually like that version better than uh, the red and the black. Uh, right, I like yeah, the, it's a, a slow down version. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little more mellow, and uh, I I dig it better. Um, what else is on that album? Uh, Last Days of May. That's uh, my favorite one. Yeah, that song is great, dude. I've only seen them play that live. Of all the times I've seen oh. them, <clears throat> I've only seen them play. Maybe I've seen it twice, but the one time I remember, it wasn't even on their set list. And between songs, this is at like one of the county fairs. Between songs, some woman walked up to the stage and handed Buck Dharma something. I don't know what it was. It was a note, maybe. And it came with something else, too. Maybe a piece of jewelry. I'm not sure. But it was a note. And he looked at the note, and he read it out loud in the mic and said, Oh, this note says, please play the last days of May. So they played it. It wasn't even on the set, according to him. That is awesome. Yeah, so that was really special. And really cool, too. The lyrics are pretty... uh, pretty haunting too it's about like a a guy he knew went out to arizona to do a drug deal and got killed yeah um yeah it's pretty trippy uh what else is on there um Uh, cities of flames is on there stairway to the stars killer stars yeah nice upbeat track and uh before the kiss or red cap that's on the first album right yeah 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 and that song's awesome too and the story about that song is great uh, you know what that the lyrics were about, right? I, I can't remember. Uh, remind me if I don't think I know. A red cap is like a 
another name for for speed back then, like a, a, a oh, okay. take, like a barbiturate. Uh-huh. And uh, while they were they were playing in some shithole, I forget the name of the club. They played there all the time uh, in uh, Long Island, and uh, people would do drug deals right in front of them, but they would do it in such a nonchalant sneaky way like a girl and a guy would come up and kiss each other and the girl would have the the red cap in her mouth and she <laughs> and she'd hand it to him with her tongue pretty much and, wow. it would, and then he'd swallow it so that's what the song's about like having a kiss and getting high from the kiss <laughs> wow I, 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 cool, did, man. I, I didn't know that i really didn't know that that's awesome yeah oh yeah cities on flame fucking awesome man uh, albert bouchard singing yeah uh, great great uh, Workshop of the Telescopes is killer. Yeah. Actually, that's my least favorite song on the album, but I do love it. Yeah, uh, I thought it was kind of weird that they named the compilation that awesome compilation after that song, because that's kind of the sleeper track on the album for me, at least. Uh, do you have that? The Workshop of the Telescopes uh, compilation? Uh, yes, I do on CD, a double CD. I think it was wasn't it a Best Buy exclusive? Because that's what yes. I bought it at Best Buy. Yeah, I do have it. Yes. Um. And the album ends great with Redeemed, a total kind of mellow Love vibe. Such a killer. Uh, what song? I'm forgetting one song. Oh, She's As Beautiful As A Foot. <laughs> I love that title. Yeah, yeah. The, the first two songs on Side 2, Screams and She's As Beautiful As A, as a Foot, those songs connect kind of. And that's where the, the, the serious bad acid trip uh, yeah. takes, full, takes full force. And like, you know, She's <laughs> As Beautiful As A Foot has like a, like a islandy kind of vibe, like a, like you're laying on a, on a an island, like just chilling. Yeah. But that song, <laughs> I have a story that's not really connected to that song, but it is. Um, I was on tour years ago. I'm not going to say who I was touring with. It's not not a. I almost said the band. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Death Angel. I, I swear, it's not Death Angel. It's years before I was in Death Angel. Uh, I was on tour with this band. And uh, backstage, um, there was like an orgy going on, pretty much. Uh, the, the, the band that was touring with us was involved in it full on. Uh, and then some of the local people, like local bands, were, were taking part. And uh, the band that I was touring with, I don't think anyone participated. Maybe someone from our crew. But there was quite a few people like gangbanging this girl backstage. And it was... It was in an open, common area. It wasn't like behind closed doors or in in a sealed-off room or anything. It was on a couch in a common area. So, like, staff were walking by, and and this this girl was laying on the couch. And everyone was calling this woman foot. (laughs) 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 I mean, she was a gargoyle. There's no no way around it. She was was hideous. And so people were calling her foot. And a guy standing next to me just had sex with her. And then he's standing next to me and he's going, look at foot going. He's making fun of her, calling her foot. I go, dude, you you just had sex with this girl. (laughs) You're making making fun of the way she looks. You just had sex with her. And he goes, hey, man, a guy's got to eat. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) You know what? You know what? That was in Florida, too. It was in Florida. I yeah. may know her. <laughs> but uh, were you there? My ex girlfriend. <laughs> I dated gargoyles. <laughs> was yeah, it so, South Florida? Uh, I can't remember where in Florida it was, but uh, Florida is uh, really huge. So I didn't know about that song, um, the BOC song at the time. 
So when I finally did discover that song, I was like, oh, shit, they must have been referring. I mean, maybe they didn't know about the song, but I'm, I'm guessing they did, you know. So, yeah, there, it, was, it was a weird scene, man. They're all calling their foot. I mean, dude, there were even people, like I guess regulars, who hang out at this club who were backstage. Her name was Susie, I think. One of the guys actually said her name and was like, Oh, you're at it again, huh, Susie? And while she, while the guy's on top of her pumping and sweating, she's going, "Fuck you, I'm you, fuck you!" Like flipping the guy off and screaming at him while she's getting fucked. It was a horrible, <laughs> it was a horrible scene, man. So yeah, that's my uh, beautiful at the foot story. <laughs> wow. That's an awesome story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, to wrap it up with that album, uh, I love it. Uh, the album cover is amazing. And uh, it was a hell of a way to, to start off a, a 40 year career, you know, it's killer. Do you, do you know the story behind the inspiration of Cities of Flames? I don't think I do. Uh, the Wizard by Black Sabbath. Oh, I did read that totally, yeah. totally. And I they can hear it. it. Oh, I can I hear, hear it. it. I mean, this band is so versatile, it's like. It's like you get a blender and you throw in this uh, to be chopped up in a tall drink of awesome, man. You know, they can be as heavy metal as Judas Priest, as dark and ominous as Black Sabbath, as strange as Devo, as progressive as Pink Floyd, and as smart as Rush, and as pop. You know, it has like a pop uh, of that would fit on any top 40 band at that time, well, you know, when top 40 didn't suck. You know, Absolutely. that's that's the and, and not just this album, it, it, you know, this this band is like a mishmash of and they're they're definitely blues to cult music, you know what I mean? Yeah, because they throw in so many weird elements to their songs, and and you know, they, and they had a lot of people writing for them too, you know, and um, it, it was just which, which it, they got criticized uh, a lot for. I remember back in the day. Uh, reading Cream magazine or, or whatever, I remember they, they would get uh, panned sometimes for having so many outside writers and yeah. so many different people writing the lyrics for them. And you know, it doesn't bother me at all. It, it's me I, neither. I, I think it's kind of cool. It's like a, a collective more than a band. Yeah. you know what I mean. So yeah, it's yeah. really cool. It still goes on today, and you know, we'll talk about. It. I know, I I saw what you posted. We we both really love that last album. Yes. And we'll, and you got to wait a little while because we got a lot of albums to go through. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next one, uh, the second of the trilogy of the black and white albums is Tyranny and Mutations. I love this album. But I will tell you this, and there's no way to slide on it, but I don't think it's as good as the other two black and white albums, but I do love this album. What do you think? I agree 100%. Uh, it's it's yeah it's my least favorite of the first three but like you said i, I still love the album i think <laughs> this album suffers from the production like the, especially the drum production dude they're so lo-fi on this album they are on the first album and on the third the first three are just kind of lo-fi overall but the drums especially on the very first song um like they get canceled out at times you could barely hear the snare drum when like the three part harmonies are going on or four part harmonies, like the drums just get completely buried. So that's what kind of like holds this album back a little. Just just the production though, because I do love all the fucking songs. They're great, man. Like the opening up with the red and the black, fucking rocking, man. But that yeah. song in particular, the drums are really buried in the mix, and it would have helped out a lot if the, they're a little more prominent. But you know, that's 
I'm a total, that's a total biased opinion being a drummer, you know, and I, I love, uh, I love uh, Bouchard's drumming. It's, it's, it's killer, man. He's very unique, quirky, perfect for the band being a, such a quirky band they, that they are. And I wanted to, to, to bring up one thing you said that, uh, that they, they could be as smart as Rush. And they, you know what? On the, on the same token, they could be as dumb as the dumbest rock and roll band, too. Yeah. I mean, they they, they could be some... dumb, as dumb as Motley Crue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, they, they cover it all. I love it, you know? Um, yeah. But, yeah, like the Red and the Black, OD on Life itself. Uh, just, yeah, this album is definitely a little bit more on the hard rock side than the first album. It, you know, I, the, the, the album... Red and the Black... Uh, it doesn't sound exactly like the song, but the 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 beat of it. Every time I watch Animal House, and I see Otis Day in the Nights doing Shout, I yeah. think of this song. I always think of Red and the Black. It's got that same type of, you know, kind of bouncy feel to it. You know, totally, totally. Uh, I I can hear it. I mean, I never noticed that before, but now that you say it, I can totally hear that. Totally. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, OD on life, man. Uh, definitely of the times, just stripped down, kick ass rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, the most straight up hard rocking song to this point, you know. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, it's great. And the follow up song, uh, Hot, hot Rails, Rails to Hell, to hell. Um, killer, man. I've, have you ever done a Hot Rail? Do you know what a Hot Rail is? No. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if, if that's what they're singing about, but like, from what I know. Uh, and I, I have done one. Oh, I've done it a couple of times, but uh, back in my youth, the hot rail is when you uh, lay out like a huge line of, of crystal meth and and you get a, a glass tube and you, you heat it up with a, a, a blowtorch on one end till it's like orange hot, like piping hot. Uh-huh. And then you, you, you put the hot end to the line and then you, you, in, you know, you put it up to your nose and inhale. And it vaporizes immediately once it gets into your nostrils and you blow out the biggest cloud of fucking smoke. I'm talking like a kiss concert. Man. <laughs> like, it's, it's, and it doesn't it doesn't burn. It's already like cool. <laughs> no, it doesn't time. burn. Um, no, surprisingly not. And um, you'll be hot. You'll be up for two days minimum. I mean, it just it fucks you up. man. And uh uh, I'm not going to say who this person is, but uh, a drummer for a pretty famous doom metal band was, uh, they played in town. This is like in the early 2000s. They played in town and there was an after party at this notorious party house that we all went to after shows. And he was there. The whole band was there, <clears throat> or most of the band was. And he wanted to do a hot rail. We were doing them. And I even said, I was like, dude, you're on tour, man. Don't you have a show tomorrow night? <laughs> this is really going to fuck you up, man. He's like, no, I want to do it, man. I want to do it. And he, he he blew it, dude. Like, he, uh, uh, I didn't, I had nothing to do with the, the process. I was just watching. But the host of the house, she uh, she lit up the, the tube. You know, she put the, the blowtorch to it. And he put the wrong end to his nostril. Oh, oh my God, dude. He screamed oh. in agony. And it was stuck to his nose. It like it like welded to his flesh. Oh. And, and he ripped it off. His nose was bleeding. His nostril looked like a butthole. Like it was just all oh. it was all puckered up. So yeah, hot reels are no joke. <clears throat> and after Man. I did after I did mine that day, this was like at 7 a.m. We had been up all night just partying, and we thought it was a good idea to do hot reels at 7 a.m. 
right after I did mine, uh, the, the girl I was with, we decided to drive to Disneyland and go to Disneyland. <laughs> 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 that was a horrible, horrible idea. Um, but yeah, that's my Hot Reels to Hell story. Uh, like, uh, my, my, my uh, stories have nothing to do with BOC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like how you try to try to throw the people off saying it was a doom band. We both know it was Ricky Rocket from Poison. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, how about Seven Screaming Disbusters? What? Oh that? my God! This one. This is this. This one has to be the, you know, uh, more of the original sound than the two before it. Yeah. You know this. This has that unique Blue Cult vibe to it, and those lyrics. You know, the uh, and ice behind their eyes. This masterpiece from the cult has some of the most deliciously evil lyrics in music, man. The opening riff sounds like the riff. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of the Allman Brothers song "In Memory of Elizabeth Reed." No, I'm not. Yeah, it, it 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 it's very similar. I'm not sure which which song came out first, but yeah, it, it's very similar to that riff. But yeah, it's one of my favorite songs. One of my favorite Blood to Cold songs. Period. Yeah, it's the most metal song on the album. Yeah, um, like the most menacing, and the drumming is killer on that song. He's really going off. Tons of fills, um, but I don't know what the hell is a disbuster. I uh, I read I something. Have no that idea. It, it might be about groupies, but uh, right. I'm, I'm not sure. There's like some kind of sexual connotation in there. But uh, great, great track, man. Great fucking song. Oh, I love it, man. What do you think of Baby Ice Dog? Um, probably my least favorite song on the album, but I do like it. I like every song on this album. Uh, that's a Patty Smith song, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I, I feel the same way. It's not one of my favorites on here. Uh, there is uh, not one hint of suck on this song, though. You know, right. I do think it's awesome. I, it's a hard rock song with some cool little twists and turns with those little guitar parts wedged between parts of the song that you know I think is pretty cool. But yeah, it would be my least favorite on here. Yeah, the next song though is my favorite song, "Wings Wetted Down." Yeah, I love it. Great, great track. First song Joe Bashar sings for the band. And uh, I think him and Bloom are singing together throughout the track, but they sound great together. It's a very, very just dark song. And I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. It, it, you know, they have some of the greatest intros to their songs. Yep. And this is one of them. Such a killer riff. And this would be like the stranger side of Blue's Cult. But, you know, it's a hard rocking song draped in very psychedelic sounds. Yes. Uh, in there, but it's unique, just like the band. I love it. And Teen Archer, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, Mistress of the Solemn Salt, something like that. Creek yeah, Time. yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a great straight up rock song. Some creative drumming, I think, on this track. I'm sure you've noticed, right? The drumming on definitely, this track. Definitely, definitely, man. Uh, it's just the ending of the song is great, man. Like, uh, uh, yeah, the drumming's fantastic. It's it's definitely a step up from the first album. Um, uh, uh, Albert Bouchard's drumming is is yeah, like he's, he's been practicing or something, or just touring or playing a lot out out live. It's just improved his skills big time. He improves with every album all the way up until the end. I think. Yeah, yeah, and his brother. His brother's a badass. Totally, <clears throat> man. Totally, without a doubt. Now we go into our favorite album. It's your favorite, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The treaties? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite, man. Um, kicking it off a career of evil. You know, I mean, 
I, this song is so cool. They should rename it the Fonz. Seriously, I think it's. <laughs> And and Patty Smith does the lyrics to this one, I know. Yeah. Uh, yep. And you know that that the character that Eric sings in this song, to me, it's kind of like the same guy. And that was me off the new album. You know. Ah, wow, it, interesting, uh, interesting connection there. Yeah, because it's like still wrecking <laughs> havoc and mayhem, taking credit for you know all all his past dirty deeds. You know, and the line, right. dude, I choose to steal what you choose to show. And you know I will not apologize. Your mind for the taking, fucking awesome. Totally. You know this. This would be great song to be played at a like a political rally. You know because you know they're all fucking evil on you know, both sides. And you know I hear this and think of the band Ghost. You know uh, a lot of people. Oh, Ghost sounds like uh, Merciful Fate. I think they sound like Bullets Are Cult to me. You know, and this is one of the songs that. They kind of totally rip off in a lot of their sounds, you know. I'm, I'm wondering if BOC is thankful for Ghost because uh, it's just turned so many new people on onto BOC, you know, who never even knew about them, like younger a younger audience. I, I like Ghost. Are you a Ghost fan? I love Ghost, and I get a lot of shit for that, by the way. Okay, um, that's that's lame. Yeah, you know, you know, I'll tell you a funny story about Ghost. When they first appeared on the scene, they played. Oh, what's it? Was it? Is it Maryland Death Fest or one of those? festivals and we used to we used to rehearse next to a black thrash band uh devastator who were awesome and um they came back from there going praising this band ghost man we saw this band ghost they were awesome they were brand new you know then when they became a little big they're like ah ghost sucks fucking posers Dude, that should drive me nuts. Everybody turned their back everybody turned their back on ghost after the second album came out it seemed like you know yeah, you know, and it's like, I don't like Ghost, but at one time you did, but you fuck, you know? Right. But, yeah, I really dig that band. I think they're unique. And, yeah, and, and what I really love about them, because they kind of have that Blue Oyster Call vibe, you yeah. know? And I Definitely. really dig that about them. But, yeah, I'm a big Ghost fan. I own all their fucking records. I, I, yeah, I think their their quality has, has stayed up. I still think the first one's the best, but I, yeah, I like too. all their albums. I like all yeah. their albums as well. I like their last one. It was very, very commercial, but I still liked it, man. Yep. Yep. And then we go into Subhuman. Oh, wait, you didn't talk about Career of Evil. Oh, I love that song. Uh, I agree with everything you said. It's a great opening track. Um, I remember the first time I saw BOC after I became a fan, and uh, their intro tape was this really cheesy collage of songs set to like a techno drum beat and i was like oh no man like this is not the way to start the show off you know and the first like three or four times i saw them they were still using that cheesy intro tape they don't do it anymore i'm glad they dropped it but uh it would be like a techno drum beat and the riff to career of evil would be over and i was like no no (laughs) stop (laughs) but uh yeah i uh i love the song man so Great opening track and uh, probably the most, uh, I mean, still kind of like psychedelic and has a 60s flavor to it, but it's kind of the most straightforward song on the album in a yeah. way. So, yeah, I think it's great. I love it. I, I, I love, love it I love Eric Bloob's voice. He He's my favorite voice in, uh, in BOC, so yeah. uh, his songs are always my favorite. He, he, he's got a menacing voice. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. He sounds like a delinquent, you know? Yeah. Totally. Buck sounds like an angel. <laughs> it's kind of yep. like a 
a yin yang going on there. Yep, yep. Which is awesome. And I love Buck's voice too. Um, what do you think of Subhuman? Awesome, dude. Awesome song. And very, very 60s. Like, just total bad trip. It's like a bad acid trip all over again. I, I love it, man. It's kind of mellow and it's just, it's all over the place, kind of. Actually, like, it's a really cool tune. Yeah, I, I love it too. In the classic line, so ladies, fish, and gentlemen. You yep. know, it's like, what the fuck? Totally. Very cool, yet strange. And I find this song kind of hypnotic, you know? Yeah. And I I love Joe Bouchard's bass work on this track, you yes. know? And I got to say, it's not as mind-blowing as, to me, the definitive version is on, on your feet version, but this is still just flat-out kicks culo, man. Culo means ass in Spanish. All right. You know? I love it. I, I'm a big fan of Subhuman. It's one of my favorites on here. Uh, what do you think of Dominus and Submission? Oh, shit, man. Fucking awesome, dude. Uh, you know who does a really, really killer version of that song is this uh, band from here called Blind Illusion. Are you familiar with them? I thought, what man, I could, wasn't there a Blind Illusion in, in the Bay Area? That's what I'm talking about, yeah. Oh, the I thought you Illusion. said from Europe. Oh, no, uh, from here, I said. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so you know who they are, right? Yeah, I do know who they are. Um, kind of thrashy. Yeah, they're kind of a weird thrash band in their own right. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, they they do a really awesome version of um, of, that, of that song, and I, I don't think I've ever seen them play it live. Uh, Boc play it live. The only time I've ever seen it is when Blind Illusion does it. But yeah, killer track, dude, killer track. No, I've Radio's seen. Up here. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Boc do Dominus. Yeah, I did thing. too. I, I yeah. believe it's on that that show that. MTV, so it might be on YouTube. You can see them do it from the show I saw. Okay. Um, yeah, this uh, you know this has one of the best guitar solos of all time. I think. Oh you know, yeah. Buck Dharma is so underrated, and Sandy Perlman, you know, uh, says this song is a reference to losing innocence around the time of the Beatles invasion. Uh, I, I took a little note here on this song because I wanted to look more into this song because uh-huh. I just feel it's so. What the hell is it about? You know. Right. And uh, it, and also, I got the Martin Popoff book, uh, Secrets Revealed, uh, and the Secret Treaties chapter. You know, uh, he says from an understanding, this song's lyric content uh, is the relations of the Illuminati uh, assassination of the JFK. You, you know, it's all over the place. It's an amazing song, and it's totally unique. Totally. You know? It's totally yeah. That's why I love this fucking band. Now, the next one is called ME262, which has something to do with the album cover, too. You know, that, yeah, it's, that about, it's, it's about the plane on the cover. as a German, yeah. German fighter plane. Yeah. Which, actually, they, they, they caught some heat for that. Uh, oh, did they? Yeah, people started, like, mumbling that they're, you know... A, oh, a Nazis. Not, a Nazi group, yeah. Right. I've actually read, like, uh, other members have said that Eric Bloom kind of took the Nazi thing a little too seriously at times. I'm not saying he's a Nazi, but I have read that, that Sandy Perlman said that, that he, uh, like the whole Nazi thing was just kind of a joke to them and it wasn't something serious, but uh, that Eric Bloom kind of took it a little seriously at times. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, Lemmy got shit for it, but Lemmy hated the Nazis, just loved the clothes. Yeah. You know? And yeah. he loved like, you know, the memorabilia of it, but he wasn't a Nazi, you know? I mean, he slept with black chicks, come on. You know? Right, right. And how, how about Jeff Hanneman? <laughs> yeah, he was another one. Yeah, uh, 
uh, Angel of Death, and then he'd have didn't he have like the Iron Cross on his guitar or something like he that? He did, and and he also like collected all kinds of Nazi memorabilia. Like he had Nazi money. Oh and, wow! Uh, yeah, he just he was he was very uh, interested in it. I don't know how seriously he took it or if he took the ideal seriously, but yeah, he was into the, uh, collecting the paraphernalia at least. Yeah, you know and, who like, also also did was uh, Ace Frehley, but he is a Nazi. Yeah, I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> but you know, you, did you ever see that picture of Paul Stanley wearing one of the Nazi uniforms? Yeah, it's him and Peter Chris, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's the what the hell is that all about? I don't know, man. There is a there is also a story where Gene was banging uh, some groupie and Ace uh, like kicked in the door wearing a Nazi uniform and a boombox with Hitler talking, <laughs> and Gene. Jeez. Was, and Gene was not happy about that. <laughs> yeah, Ace seems to really put a lot of time and effort into his jokes, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, ME262, you know, what band can ever, uh, you know, make lyrics like Blast from Cluster Rams Quarters in my snout and make it work? <laughs> you know, again, I like the live version, you know, it's the best, man, but... Again, you know, since you're a drummer, I got to bring this up. Albert's drumming on this song is so cool. Totally. On ME2, you know, it's an awesome song with Blue Earth's Occult giving you a history lesson of a World War II fighter plane and, you know, heavy metal fruit. <laughs> totally. Love it, man. Yeah, so, it's, uh, uh, it's awesome. And I, I do love the live version. I also love the version that's on Cult Classic. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that album. No. You know what? I think I have it. Um, recently, somebody sent me, dude, the box set, of the CD box set for free. Oh, and my God. I, th I think it's in there. Yeah, dude, he sent me, it, it, it was, uh, I think it's Frontiers or whoever labeled it on, like some kind of promo package. It brought the box set and then separately, Heaven Forbid and uh, the Curse of the Hidden Mirrors separately. Wow. And I was like, and I think I believe Cult Classics is in that box set, but, but I haven't heard it yet. I'm not sure. I have that box set, and I don't remember Cult Classic being in there. There's two. But, there's two separates. You know, that's not on the. Uh, so I was thinking one of them is Cult Classics. May I may be wrong. Okay, but in any case, I I love that album, Cult Classic. I like all the versions on, uh, on that better than the originals. Uh, the so they. So they redid a bunch of songs. Yeah, it's all re-recorded. Uh, yeah, ver all re-recorded versions of songs spanning their entire catalog, and it's got a. I think it's the drummer they have now currently is, is drumming on that, and yeah, the drums are just produced so well. The production is great. I mean, it's like a '90s production, but it's it sounds so clear, uh, and the the drummer is like doing lots of double bass and. Uh, it's it's really killer, man. But the version the, the version of this song on Cult Classic is really really awesome. I I need to get Cult Classics then. Yeah, that, it's, it's do not own definitely that worth definitely it. worth it. Cool, man. What do you think of uh, KG Cretans? Great song, great song. Um, and if I remember correctly, because I have also read a, a Martin Popoff uh, BOC book, not the one you were talking about though. The one I have is uh, Agents of Fortune. It's just, uh, it, it, have you read that book? No. It, it, it's doing exactly what you and I are doing right now. It does, uh, it just goes from album to album, track to track. Right. So it's, uh, 
It's very detail oriented. Great book. Um, but uh, I believe in that book, they, he said that they never played that song live ever. Oh, wow. Which, which is kind of crazy. I mean, yeah, it is. They've done a lot of touring, man, and played a hell of a lot of shows. And I wonder why they've never played it live. I mean, it's a, it's a good tune. Yeah, it's a great tune. Weird. Yeah. I, um, I think that the, the drums sound pretty tame at the beginning. Then suddenly the drums sound kind of violent and loud. Yep. More menacing after the guitar solo. Yep. It's like Albert picked up on the energy Buck threw down, you know, on that perfect guitar solo. And what totally. a solo, man. You know, totally, and the, man. The, verse, the verses are kind of psychedelic combined with, you know, some menacing vibe. And, you know, it's a cool contrast, you know, in that one line, mother never runs except when rape is near. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't think those lyrics would fly today, but nope. it's a strange and awesome song, though. Yep. Totally, totally. Um, that's the first song on side two, right? I think so. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah, it is. It is. Yes, yeah. Side two. Dude, side <clears throat> two of this album is is the best. Oh, it's BOC. shit. It's the best boc out there. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. My awesome. favorite song's coming up. My favorite song is on side two. Um, what do you think of Harvester of Eyes? Awesome. Uh, they they always play that live, like still. And it's always a highlight, like one of the highlights of the show, man. I, lo- I love this track. It's kind of boogie-woogie. Um, it's a great opening riff. Um, uh, yeah, it's just awesome. The lyrics are cool. I'm not quite sure what it's about. I, I don't know if it's connected to the whole Sandy Perlman, uh, uh, Imaginos uh, story, but they, I like the lyrics, though. They sound cool, and they, they definitely roll off the tongue really well. And, uh, yeah, I love it, dude. Eric Bloom. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love this song so much. And what, again, not repeating myself, but what an amazing guitar, you know, work and solo. It's face yep. ripping, man. You know, the guitar yep. sounds like eyes going down a conveyor belt after, you know, harvesting, you know. Yeah. And damn, that killer bluesy part at the end that goes into that, some like music box sound, it's just yep. insane. It's just insane. Have you read, uh, do, you, do you know the story about that music box? No. I, I think, if I remember correctly, that they found that music box in the recording studio, like in a storage room or something, and, and it plays music. The music it plays, uh, they couldn't identify what it was until years later. They put it on the album anyways, but they didn't know like where that, that music originated from. But then many years later, it was from some Russian, I think a Russian ballet or something like that. But the whole the whole story about it's kind of creepy. Like it just no one knows where this music box came from or why it was there. And it's like you know playing music that no one can identify. And it's just so blue oyster cult, man. Yeah, <laughs> it fits perfect because it's so weird. Yeah, that it kind of fits perfect with the whole weird vibe and and the, it's just the subject matter. Harvester of eyes, you know. Right. It's kind of like a kitchen sink thing, you know. Right. Fucking right. Cool. It's, it's yeah, it's totally awesome. <laughs> uh, and wow. then like the and the, the the fucking segue into flaming telepaths. I mean, that's just awesome, dude. It's, yeah. It's perfect. Uh, yeah, it is. And uh, I got, I'll, I'll take this one because I gotta say, man, flaming Pel- uh, telepaths is like my second favorite Bliss of Cold song of all time. Yeah. Uh, definitely my favorite on here. You know, that piano in the intro is hitting that note that sends, like, shivers down my spine, you know? Yep. And, you know, and if you don't get emotional, 
after Buck Solo, then you're a narc. Seriously. Yeah. You know, this this band defines the term deep cut, you know, and what a masterpiece of a song, you know, it's like, I think Veterans of a Psychic War is this song's sequel. I think yeah, I heard it, that from somebody. That, that would totally make sense. And this yeah. song is definitely, it's definitely a part of the Imaginos storyline. Like it definitely falls into it. Um, another cool thing about BOC, and this song's a good example, they always have interesting backing music during the solos. Like the, the solo breaks are sometimes the best part of the song. Like the, the riff they're playing underneath the solo is always interesting. And yeah. it, it always takes like a left turn kind of like, and this song is a prime example. I, I love the, the backing riff during Buck solo. It's freaking awesome. No, it's great, man. This, this, this song leaves, you know, my jaw flat on the ground. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is an epic of ep- epic proportions, you know? And, you know, I love that. And the joke's on you. Yeah, at the you end. Know? Great yeah. way to end the song, man. I'm telling oh. you, the jokes are on the idiots who do not, who do not grab the hairy sack of Blue Occult and swing from them nuts. That's <laughs> what I think. <laughs> and, of course, it goes into, uh, you know, what a way to end the album. What do you think of Astronomy? It's my favorite song on the album. Um, yeah, I blame you. And that was really the song that, that, uh, I mean, I, I liked the whole album leading up to the song when I when I first got the album. But when I heard this song, that was what made me decide to, that I loved Bluish for Cold. You know, it's yeah. just, it can't be denied. The album ends with like, a, you know, just a total sci-fi, like the, the, the outer space wind sound or, or whatever it is. Like, I just love the lyrics are great. And I think this song is also a part of the Imaginos storyline as well. And, uh, yeah, this it's a perfect, perfect song, and I actually like Metallica's version of it too. Oh yeah, I couldn't get into that one, but you know. Oh really? You didn't like it, huh? Yeah, no, but you know, I think it's cool they gave this song the attention it deserves. Yeah. And people, you know, you know, they got millions of people to go listen to the original and realize, you know, how fucking amazing this band is. Totally. But yeah, I couldn't get into any of those garaging songs except this two of the older ones, and I'm not one of those. Dude, I, you know, I may not be crazy about a lot of Metallica albums, but I think it's so trendy to bash them that I kind of like stay away from bashing them. Me too. But you know, yeah, it's, it, to me, it's just too trendy. It's just it's just a trendy thing to bash on Metallica. That I don't know. It's the same with Nickelback. I don't like Nickelback at all, but I'm like, I ain't gonna bash them because everybody is. You know what I mean? It's just so. Yeah, I, I'd rather stick to Sammy Hagar. Now, that's a good. One. <laughs> but I love this song. I think mean, I think it's the perfect way to end their album. To me, it's kind of like their stairway to heaven. Yeah, you know, and but, uh, but better. <laughs> yeah, and to me, the lyrics like it don't make sense, but they still sound so perfect <laughs> to me. Uh, I mean, at least to me, it don't make sense. But well, I think yeah, it's amazing. It's it's kind of impossible to figure out uh, the Imagino storyline because. Like the, the, their songs aren't really in a proper order to figure out what the storyline actually is, you know. So it's all just random references, and uh, it's really hard to follow. But I agree, the lyrics are great, and like the so, to take a walk with me on the beach and all that stuff is just yeah, I, I love it. It's perfect. It fits in perfectly, even if you don't understand what exactly they're talking about. It still feels right. I love it, man. All right, well, the next one is a live album, On Your Feet and On Your Knees. What do you think of this one? Uh, it's, fan- it's fantastic. Uh, great album cover, too. And I love the logo. I, like, 
people say that's like the first heavy metal official heavy metal looking logo and i have to agree with them i think it's awesome i think it's a, a bizarre the album starts off really bizarrely i get it. the first track is uh subhuman and then and then after the first song it says will you please welcome blue oyster Cult. yeah like, yeah <laughs> i've always tripped off of that and i've never read anything about that like even in the, the martin popoff book he doesn't really go into detail why they why exactly do they do that but it's cool. I mean, it's just, it's different, but I love it. I love it. I think it's one of the greatest album covers ever. Yeah. There's something so dark about it. You know, that, that, you know, what is that? A church? Yeah. It's just, you know, I think it's an amazing double live album, you know, and most songs on here, I like over the studio version that I still think kick much ass on the studio albums. Yeah. Uh, but you know, much like priest did on Unleashed in the East, you know, I kind of like those versions more, but God damn, I love those studio versions of the song. But they're, man, they're totally different animals, especially with the Judas yeah. Priest. Completely yeah. different. Though, so, you know, uh, there's one, dude, I never in my life have liked the song Born to Be Wild. I don't either. know why. I just don't like it. And I don't like when they play it. You know, I turn it off after Maserati GT. I ain't got you. I was like, all right, I don't have to listen to the rest, which is cool. They placed it at the end, so I don't have to sit through it. So, but, you know, I, I do like how. Uh, you know, they leave it at the end of the album. You know, there's no skipping involved, you know, but I think it's a killer live album. I mean, we don't have to go through the song because we already did, but overall, we both love it. Totally. You know, you know who does the worst cover of uh, Born to be Wild? The Cult. Oh, I never heard their version. It's on their second album, uh, or they're on the album uh, Electric. Or I guess that's well, the I, well, you know, I mean, I think that's a pretty cool thing uh, to actually make that song worse. You know, <laughs> that takes talent. <laughs> That's pretty I'm with badass you. of them. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, I, I've never dug that track either. Uh, I can't really put, I can't like pinpoint exactly why I don't like that song, but I'm with you 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just one of those songs. And it's not even, I don't, it's not that I dislike it because it's played out. I, I, I Even the first times I heard it, I was like, eh, you know. But um, now we're going to go into their most, I, I believe the one that sold the most. Definitely. Agent of Fortune, you know. I uh, like this. So I, I got to say something, though, you know. I like this album more now than when I first got it because, you know, I, I still don't think it, it's as good as the black and white period. It's different, but it's a cool fucking album and it was a grower on me, you know. Uh, but I know I'm going to be, I'm going to have some unpopular opinions when it comes to this album. Because uh, there's some things I don't like about it. But um, I think it's the biggest seller because uh, it has Don't Fear the Reaper, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it sold 2 million copies in America. Probably. I think that's the only double platinum album they have. Uh, I know the live album, um, On Your Feet, was their first gold album. Oh, really? Then, yeah, I think that one went gold first. And then this one went double platinum and then... Spectres went went gold, and they, they had a string of gold or platinum albums all the way up, all the way up until uh, Fire of Unknown Origin, I believe. Yeah, but um, uh, I love this album. Uh, definitely a noticeable uh, improvement in production. You could tell they had some money, and they had some like a uh, uh, success under their belt because the drums sound great, and just the whole album just has a, a richer sound than the first three. So yeah, you could you tell they were playing with money by that point, and, uh, and it works. It works. They're, they're a band 
that deserves the best production possible because they have so much going on in every yeah, song. Yeah, I know, agree. Like, you, you got it. You just got to throw them the money. <laughs> I hear that, man. And what do you think of the opening track, This Ain't the Summer of Love? Awesome. Um, it's uh, total. I love the lyrics, you know. It's um, kind of, I think, I think it's about the end of the summer of love or, I mean, it's the end of the, the uh, hippie era, you know, like, I, it might be a re- reference to Altamont again, because yeah. a lot of people say that that's when the sixties died is when Altamont happened. So uh, I like it. I like how they're, they they use biker references and um, it's a great, great opening track, man. Right. Um, I feel different. <laughs> oh, I don't like you- that song. Uh, you know, the thing is that I, I dude, everybody agrees with you. I, I've had discussions about this song with other people. You know, it's like I don't hate it, but uh, I don't think it's that great either. I think it's just pretty good, you know? Yeah, and uh, also, like, when the song starts, it's right out the gate. I hear a difference, you know? Oh, definitely. I don't really think it's a strong opening track. And I know many people be leaving comments saying how I'm wrong, and you're right. So, you know. There you go. But that's how I feel about it. Now, the next one, True Confessions, when, you know, this is like when some great music means uh, meets like meaningless lyrics. I uh-huh. love Alan's vocals on this, and I do like the song, but the horns, I think, were unnecessary, were not necessary, and it, it, makes, it, it makes it dip quite a bit for me. But luckily, they went back to the cool music again. Yeah. So, you know, from a scale to one to ten, I would give this one like a six and a half. Uh, you know, I love this song, uh, just because, because Alan's really not that good of a singer, but I love his voice, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, I love his voice on this track. Yeah. You know, I I can totally understand why he didn't sing that many songs with BOC. Um, I think it's an odd choice for the second song on the album. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, like, especially with the opening track, it's kind of misleading because, when you hear the opening song, you're expecting like a heavy album all the way through, and then it goes right into, well, you know, no BOC album's heavy all the way through, but it, it's a weird second uh, second song, but I do like it a lot. I like, uh, I mean, I, I have the five singers in BOC. He's he's number six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I do love his voice, too, and uh, it's, a, it's a cool little tune. Uh, I agree with you. I don't like the horns. I don't really like horns in general. When, yeah, when, me neither. Yeah, with horns kicking, like Aerosmith. Aerosmith has fucked up so many great songs yeah, with, yeah. with a fucking saxophone solo yeah. or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, it drives me nuts. Though, a song coming up that has horns on a future album, I really like. And trust me, Will, I hate any instrument you blow into. Yeah. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there's an exception. And there is an exception coming up on a future album that the horns oh. come, and I'm like, wow, they don't bother me on this. They kind of like I don't know, it kind of benefits it, but we'll talk about that when we get there. What do you think of the hit, Don't Fear the Reaper? You know, I can't get into it, man. I, it's not because it's not a good song. It's just, I've, I, just, if I, I just never need to hear that song again, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, but it is a, a good song, um, but uh, I, I tend to skip that song sometimes when, when I listen to this album. I'm just so burnt on it. I'm so fine. Well, um, this to me is the best song on the album. <laughs> wow. I think it's perfect in any every way. That beautiful uh, guitar chords, the melodic soloing, the eerie change in the middle, that uh-huh. ripping solo, 
You know, if astronomy did not exist, this would be their stairway to heaven, I think. If this song was on secret treaties along with Godzilla, I think this band would be more love to the masses, you know. Uh, and uh, is this song played out? Yeah, sure, you know, to many people, but really not to me. I think it's a timeless gem and it never gets old to my ears. My only complaint about this song is that the cowbell is very low in the mix. So I don't get why this song gets used in that Saturday Night Live skit. They should have used Mississippi Queen instead. Dude, That's what I, dude, I you, you've totally hit the nail on the head. I got to be honest, man. When I saw that skit, I, 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 the first thing I said was, there's cowbell on that song? Yeah. I, so, I, I, I don't remember ever hearing that cowbell until I saw that skit. And then the next time I heard Don't Fear the Reaper, I was I had to listen really hard. And I was like, oh, yeah, there is a cowbell going along in the background. But, yeah, I'm not quite sure how they – why that song was chosen to to be a cowbell skit. Like, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And, and I agree with you, too. I thought the same thing. And then I went and listened to it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I vaguely hear it. You know, I, I, I kind of hear it. Yeah, you know, I do hear it, but it's so low in the mix, it's like, you know, Mississippi Queen is really loud in the mix. You know. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think? Of, what do you think of that skit? That Saturday Night Live. Skit? I thought it was fucking hilarious because of Christopher Walken. Yeah. I just love his delivery. It cracks yeah. me up. <laughs> you know, not so much. You know, you know. I mean, it's kind of funny and amusing. The Blue Oyster Cult members, or what's that popular actor's name, hitting the cowbell? You Will Ferrell. Yeah, it was kind of amusing. You know, his shirt's too short and. You know, his gut hanging out. I thought it was kind of, but it was, it was, I got a fever. You know, it's like. I got to say, they, they, they nailed the costumes and the wigs and the mustaches yeah. pretty well, man. <laughs> they, they did kind of look like Blue Oyster Cult. And I saw, I saw an interview. This is great. I saw an interview with Eric Bloom. They asked him about it. And he goes, they go, what, what uh, when was the first time you heard about it? He goes, heard about it. I saw it when they first aired it. And I was in my couch going, oh, my God. Oh, fuck. They're really going to fucking ream us now. Because he saw behind the music of Blue Oyster Cult. He goes, oh, shit. Then he ended up saying, yeah, they didn't really make fun of us. And I actually really enjoyed it. You know? Uh (laughs) But, yeah, he he saw it live when it happened. He didn't, you know. And then he said while he was watching it, his phone was blowing up. Dude, you see what's going on? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching it now, you know. But, yeah, it is a great skit, though, man. Totally. And I, I, I want I don't want people going away from this thinking that I, I was slagging this song. I know it's a good song and it deserves It just all. does nothing for you. There's a lot of good songs that do nothing for me. Yeah, I yeah. I it probably I if I hadn't heard it, you know, six hundred thousand times, I, I right. probably would, would appreciate it more, but I'm just so burnt on it, man. Yeah, I think uh, if you would have heard it first in the context of the album before yeah. it became like, you know, over overplayed, you might have enjoyed it more. Like I remember, like at the going back to state fairs and county fairs when I was a kid, whenever the carnival or the fair would come to town, like back in the day, you you, you they they would if you popped a balloon or threw a dart at something, they'd give you a a bootleg shirt. You could cho- choose from like a rock mirror. Remember those things, the rock mirror? Yeah, and, I loved them. Yeah. Oh, I still have all of mine. But uh, they would also have like kind of shitty bootleg metal shirts. They were actually really cool. Some of the designs, but. I remember 
like the most popular one was a shirt that just said "Don't Fear the Reaper" on it with a a Grim Reaper. I was like, oh god, <laughs> like, I, anything but that one, you know? All <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> but uh, the next song is my favorite BOC song. Hell yeah, Extraterrestrial Intelligence. What do you think? It's, yes, it's my favorite BOC song. Um, I wish they'd play it more often. They. I've only seen them play that a handful of times. Uh, Eric, I mean, that's one song that Eric Bloop still can sing really well. So I just, I don't know why they don't do it every time. But yeah, I love that song. Uh, I love the live version on ETI uh, Live or Extraterrestrial Live. Yeah. That version is is the, the quintessential version of the song. But um, yeah, I just, the, the singing about the men in black and the lyrics and just, it's a beautiful song. I, I love the melodies. Uh, and Eric just Eric Bloom really shines on that tune. Yeah, I love it. This this has that black and white period vibe. Yeah, this tune, you know, killer riff. You know, this is beyond classic. You know, uh, but really only known to BOC fans, which is a shame. You know, yeah. uh, and they did play it at that show where MTV was at, and I know for a fact that's on YouTube that version. Okay. But I I think the song is awesome. It is my second favorite track on the album. I do love it. So it's a good one-two punch. And to me, you know, it's like when Don't Fear the Reaper comes, that's when the album kind of kicks in for me. Um, <clears throat> the next song is called The Revenge of Vera Gemini. Um, I, I, this song is back to a different vibe, like from the black and white period too, I think. But, you know, I really like this one. Um, it, it, it has this relaxing vibe to a mid-tempo beat. Not very talked about. And I, I like Patti Smith's vocals in this song and i find it very enjoyable it's weird but i, I dig it yeah i think it's cool that she, she does a duet with uh with uh, albert bouchard and uh um it's the weirdest song on the album it's yeah it's definitely boc though i mean they always throw you a, a bizarre track I, every other track is a bizarre track but uh i i dig it i i, I yeah it's a cool tune going back to, to don't fear the reaper real, real quick um i reading that martin popoff book uh i didn't know there was a, a suicide scare uh, around that song like the people were start, like there was like a like in 76 or 77 there was like a bunch of teens started killing themselves and they were, they were like they were like connecting that song to it did you know anything about that no i, I never heard that i never heard about that yeah and after i read that i i uh pulled out the lyrics and read them again and i I never really made the connection that it's a suicide song, but I guess you know after reading the lyrics, it it, it could definitely be uh, seen that way. I, I could totally see that. Yeah, it's kind of telling you not to fear death. Yeah, now I think yeah. about it. I have the lyrics going through my head now. It's yeah, season don't fear the reaper nor the, do the wind. Nor, yeah, it's come on, baby. You know, it's like come on, kill yourself. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, didn't, but, uh, I never noticed that. Yeah, you're right. I never really noticed that connection. But going back to Vera Gemini, yeah, cool tune, cool tune, very weird. How about uh, Sinful Love? I love it. I love it, man. Uh, another another uh, Bouchard song, a fucking killer. Um, I think that's the first song that, that Helen Wheels person was involved with. Uh, she, she wrote a bunch of songs from this point on. She was on almost every album. Uh, she was like some punk rock chick from New York. You ever ever hear of her? No, no. Yeah, I know. I, I I know about her, but I I don't really. I didn't know she was a punk rock chick or anything like that. But I was aware of her songwriting. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, uh, she was like, I, I don't know her music. I'm not familiar. I'm not going to try to act like I know anything about her, but I have read about her and uh, she hung out with, uh, I think she dated uh, uh, Albert Bouchard for a while. But uh, yeah, this is the first song she uh, co-wrote with the band. And uh, cool, man. I like, uh, I love you like sin. I, some, some cool lines in the song. Yeah, but I won't be your pigeon. But I won't be your <laughs> pigeon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. I love Albert's voice on this. I think uh-huh. the song has a really awesome flow. I think it's a cool track. I dig it. Yeah. Now, uh, next one's very strange. What do you think of Tattoo Vampire? I dig it, man. It's like you know, upbeat, uh, it's kind of psychedelic at the same time. And it has all the elements of BOC wrapped up into a, a concise little package. Um, you know who uh, Phil Demel just did a, or not just, but recently did a, a cover of this song. Did you ever really? hear that? No. Yeah, he has a he has like a super group called uh, I think it's called like B BPMD, which is uh, Bobby Blitz on vocals. Oh yeah, I've heard about the band. Yeah, yeah, they did they did Tattoo Vampire. I was shocked. I was like, whoa, talk about a deep track that no yeah. one ever talks about, you know. And, uh, and they did a really ripping job. I I was shocked how well uh, uh, Bobby Blitz sounded. I mean, not that I, I'm not a fan of Bobby Blitz or anything, but uh, pulling off Eric Bloom's not an easy thing. And he did a really good fucking job of Eric Bloom, man. It, it's it's cool. I definitely got to look into it. And, and it's funny because just yesterday I heard a song, a track from that band, and I really liked it. But uh, I, was I it a cover remember. tune or was it no? I think well, if it was a cover tune, it's a cover I didn't know. Okay, um, but I did hear a song and I, I dug it, man. But um, <clears throat> you know, I, I when I first got this uh, album, this was my favorite actually. The first time, it's like I got this song on first listen. It's not a grower for me. Um, it's it, it, it's as strange as anything they did before, but it has this metallic edge to it. Yeah, and I I think this song smokes. And I made a video for this song where. All I did was use footage of Nosferatu, that old movie, yeah. and kind of mashed up pretty fucking cool. Um, but uh, all right, so how about the next one, Morning Fi- Morning Final? It's my least favorite song on the album. Um, I mean, I, even though I said I'm sick of uh, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, uh, I know Don't Fear the Reaper is a better song than, uh, than uh, um, uh, Morning Final. But yeah, it's my least favorite song. Um, I think Joe sounds good on it. He sings well. Um, but it just kind of, yeah, it's just, it doesn't do much for me. I gotta, I gotta tell you, man, it took me a while, you know, to wake up to this. Cause I, I think it's great, but I didn't get it for a while. You know, I love that. He said he was a junkie and he punctuated his walk with a gun. Yeah. You know, I love, I love that line. It's got a funky vibe to it. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff layered on this track, you know, but I find it kind of like masterful and tasty. You know, I love the poetic lyrics and. You know, I, I dig the music. It's it, it, it's a shame to say the least that these guys weren't more successful. You know, with their you know diversity. You know, I think their diversity is kind of like what turned a lot of people off. Oh, but, definitely, dude. It, it, myself included. Like when I like I said when I hear those albums when I was a little kid, my sister would be playing them, and you know when I, when you're a little kid, you just want everything loud and fast and hard. You know. And it's just I, I thought the BOC albums were just too uh, inconsistent, you know. Yeah. But, and now I embrace it. I love the variety and the the quirkiness of it all. But you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people 
it, they just couldn't handle the the, the variety. <laughs> yeah, they yeah they need that straightforwardness on everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I feel like Morning Final and, and Tenderloin, you know, is like one song. You know, they they just go together. You know, and I love Tenderloin. You know, uh, I love it too. I think it's a really cool tune. What do you think of it? It's great, man. It's kind of dreamy. Um, I love the lyrics, and you know what that song's about? No. It's, it's about the Tenderloin neighborhood in San Francisco, um, which is the, the worst neighborhood in San Francisco. It's, uh, it's fucking, it's jaw dropping. Even to this day, it hasn't changed since he, he wrote that since uh, that's an Alan Lanier song, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't changed since he wrote that song. I guarantee you it's, uh, you can get any drug you could possibly imagine within like 10 seconds. And there's, wow. Just, there's just people taking a shit on the sidewalk, and it's just homeless people everywhere, and it's dangerous, really dangerous. There's, there's nothing but liquor stores and dive bars, and it has its charm, and it's uh, it's right behind the Warfield. Uh, the Warfield's on Market Street, and then uh, the, the neighborhood right behind the Warfield is the Tenderloin, and it's just known as the neighborhood to get heroin or, or pills or or whatever you want. It's a very, very sketchy neighborhood. And uh, apparently, uh, uh, Alan Lanier liked that neighborhood. Well, he was a hardcore partier, from what <laughs> I've read. So he probably spent a lot of time in the Tenderloin whenever BOC came through town. And so that's one of the reasons why I like the song so much, because it's, you know, it's about San Francisco, and it's a sentimental value. And I've I, I'm not going to lie, I've done some time in the Tenderloin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a really, really, really cool tune. I love it. Yeah, I dig it. What do you think of the final track, Debbie Denise? Uh, I, I I like it. I think it's kind of a weak ending for the album, but I do dig the song. Uh, it's it's good. It's good. It doesn't blow yeah, me away. I like Alan's vocals on it, you know. And yeah, the song is okay. Sounds very seventy, and it's not. It's not like a bad thing. But to me, it's like missing something. It could it could be better if. They added something else, you know, something catchy. So, you know, yeah. I give the song five out of ten. Yeah, I would have to say five out of ten as well. It's just kind of a, it's a bit of a lackluster ending to the album, a little bit, a little. It, it sounded like, yeah, they should have worked a little bit more on this tune. I'm yeah, totally I totally agree. I just think it's missing like the the hooks. It could have been better. All right, I'm going to stop it right there because this is a long conversation, as you can see. We're talking about every single song off every single album. And this uh, conversation lasted like four hours. I shit you not. So uh, next week we'll go into part two. It might be even four-part episode. We'll see. All right, so let's go into the vault. We are inside the vault, and I'm going to play something Will touched upon. I looked it up. It kicks ass. It's the Project Phil demo did, and it has Bobby Blitz on vocals and Mike Portnoy on the drums and Mark Menji from Metal Allegiance doing Blue Oyster Cult's Tattooed Vampire off Agent of Fortune. Check it out.
Tattoo Vampire from BPMD. That's the band. That's the band's name with Phil Demel and Blitz and Mark McGee. Is that how you pronounce his name? And Mike Portnoy. And uh, so, hey, thanks everybody for watching. I mean, for listening. And next week will be part two. So thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody out there that's sharing the show. I'm going to start writing down names to all you people that share the show. I really do appreciate it. And I really do appreciate if you're listening to my voice right now. So next week we start with Spectres. And I don't know, you know, I'm probably going to do like an hour's worth the next week and an hour's work of the next two weeks after that. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, thanks for watching. Till next week, smack a gob.